0: Hello and welcome to Tate T-A-I-T, which is short for talking about immersive theatre. I'm Dr Joanna Bucknell and Tate is a series where I track down immersive theatre peeps of all kinds, directors, actors, producers and performers, to chat about the work that they do. You're listening to episode 5, which happens to be a slightly different episode. Instead of being the interviewer, I'm going to be the interviewee this time. Special guest Nigel Tuttle, who is the co-artistic director of Vertical Exchange Performance Collective, will be chatting to me about the immersive work that I do. So, let's get down to it.
1: So, welcome everybody. Uh, I'm here at the Centre of Performing Arts at the University of Portsmouth in the White Swan building, and I have Dr Joanna Buckner with me. Hello. Hello, yeah. Uh, So I'm Nigel. I'm the guy who normally does the editing on these podcasts, but I'm actually doing the interviewing for Joanna now. Um, I'm not a theatre academic, so I don't know all of the long and complicated words. So if I don't know what they are, I will ask. So I apologise if I have slightly less knowledge than normal for your interviewer. So so, um, that's basically who I am, and a quick welcome. So... I wanted to ask you first about your background, because obviously you've done lots of these and you've hinted at what you do, but where did you start from and how did you get sort of here?
0: Okay, um, it's kind of, in some respects, quite a cliched story. I started when I was really small, um, like most people, I uh, started doing kind of amateur dramatics and um, dancing. I actually for a very, very long time wanted to be a ballerina. but. Uh, once I became a teenager, it became fairly evident that that was not going to be a possibility moving forwards. Um, but it didn't stop me dancing, and I danced right until I was um, about 17. Um, so I wanted to be a performer, and I wanted to be an actor, very specifically, and a musical theatre actor, um, so I did lots of... My school didn't do drama, so... I had to do kind of like private drama lessons, I had to join like amateur clubs and all of that sort of thing to be able to access it because I just couldn't do it at school. So I did all of that and then I won a scholarship to the Brick Performing Arts School, um, where I very quickly actually realised that acting wasn't really going to be enough for me and wasn't actually what excited me like I thought it would and maybe I needed more. So. I kind of went back and I retrained, I couldn't really decide what to do, I did A-levels in art and fashion, and then I did traditional A-levels, and then I went to Roehampton University which is kind of where I found what I was actually really passionate about, so it took me quite a long time to kind of come to what it is that I do now, which is a really different place from where I started. Um, So at Roehampton for the first year. I wanted to be a director so I made sure that I took units and I did loads of additional training to kind of develop my skills as a director and I sort of did that through most of my undergraduate degree and then towards the end um, I started to discover something called Live Art and Performance Art and really from that moment on that influenced everything I did and all of the choices that I made so all of the work that I made from that point on then started to become Live Art and Performance Art and then I went on to do my Masters and then I did my PhD. Um, again, with a much clearer focus on live art and performance art practices. But in some ways, I suppose where I'm at now, um, I kind of have forced entertainment to thank for because um, I loved their work. I came across them in sort of 2000 when I started my undergraduate degree because they had quite a strong relationship with Roehampton where I was studying. Um, But it wasn't from my love of their work. It was from a frustration that their work gave me. So I went to um, a performance called Quizula, very specifically, it always sticks in my mind, where they um, read and respond to questions for an extended period of time. And all I could think about while I was watching, watching is a really problematic term. No, I
1: I think watching with Quizula works because you you do watch and that's where you, sorry, I'm I'm preempting your answer there, aren't I? But that's where your frustration comes from because you get to the point about half an hour in and it's like, okay, Can I say something now? Which is what I know you are thinking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, um,
0: and I wanted, and I just kept thinking to myself, why can't I play too? I want to answer the questions. I want to play. I completely understand most people in the room probably are not thinking the same thing as me, but that's what I felt. And then the more and more I went to see work like that, durational work, work that was more live art, I just kept thinking to myself... I want to play as well and why can't I take some of the responsibility because this work kind of gives you a cerebral responsibility for your experience but it didn't really give you a material responsibility so what I thought was there must be work that does that so basically my PhD was me going there must be work that lets you do this and I want to make work that lets people do this so everything I've done from about 2006 onwards as a practitioner and as a scholar has been about trying to understand work that lets you play yeah and also making work where fundamentally you get a responsibility you're responsible for your experience that you have in a way that kind of more traditional theater doesn't give you and it's um again it's built built on this frustration of i always there was always a for me especially when i started to direct i started to think this is so strange that we have we don't acknowledge that there's all these people sat in this room watching us, and there was always something for me which felt a little bit ludicrous it, I th- about I think, that.
1: I think with, with um, theatre in the sort of contemporary age, um, it's the big selling point, which you can't forget. If you're going to just play out a play in front of an audience where people are just saying nothing and you pretend they're not there, then it is, <coughs> when you've got a world with video games and films being so prevalent, it is strange that the theatre didn't exploit that more perhaps.
0: And I think maybe that's why, because when I started my PhD, I I struggled to find work that you would now potentially consider immersive, people weren't using that term back in 2006 at all. They were using all kinds of different things and mostly actually calling things site-specific. But then suddenly there was an explosion, probably in about 2008-2009, where work started to move kind of beyond site-specific even and into what we would probably now call immersive. And um, for me, I think... It seems odd that a reaction like that would happen at this time, but I don't think so. I think it's exactly what you're talking about. is the fact that the thing that makes theatre unique and the thing that's special about theatre is its liveness and the ephemerality of the experience that happens live in front of you. It's film. I mean, it's changing in gaming. I think gaming is difficult yeah, I, to move in I'll, with. Will come on
1: to my questions on
0: gaming, <clears throat> Yeah, so I think I can understand why there's been an explosion, but when I first kind of got involved in this sort of work, no one was really calling it a massive I mean, yeah, performance. you, um,
1: not to, to uh, inflate your ego too much, but you definitely were a- ahead of the curve on that, because you started writing about it basically before anyone else. Yeah. With your PhD, so.
0: The difficulty with that, though, is I came up with a whole kind of like little body of terminology that... Um, because it took me a while to finish my PhD, cause it takes everyone a while to finish their PhDs. By the time I finished it, the press had already started using the term immersive, and I had this whole other kind of vocabulary to describe this work that wasn't that. So what I've had to do now is to really reconsider what does immersion mean? And so my academic work is very much about that, but my performance work is very much about that idea, the basic, the basis of all of it is about play, and it's about what, how do I get you to come and play with me? Yeah. And what are the implications of you coming and playing with me, and what are the ethical ramifications of giving you the chance to come and play with me, or with us, or
1: depending with on the whoever's kind of, there. With yeah. whoever's there. Yeah.
0: So that's kind of the journey that I've been on to get to the kind of work I make now, which is a really long and strange journey. But I suspect if I hadn't had that long and strange journey, I wouldn't be doing the things no, that yeah, I do now.
1: Completely. It's. Uh... Nothing's ever straightforward, <coughs> or n- nothing, most no. things aren't straightforward anyway. And on the things not straightforward, it brings me on to my next question, which is okay. quite nice. Um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about being a practitioner scholar, because I know this is quite a difficult sort of area. Yeah. I mean, it's quite normal <coughs> in, say, science where, or engineering, where you would both do the thing you're studying and do research and results yeah. about it. But I think in, in sort of a humanity, it's less common. <coughs> Yeah. To an extent, so.
0: And again, I think I was right on the edge of kind of that really exploding, there was um, a big movement at Bristol University, PARIP, um, probably I think it was in 2007, 2008, where people really started to recognise that there was this move and hmm. in some respects, PARP.
1: Uh, PARIP, if anyone doesn't know, is uh, Practices Research.
0: Yeah, Practices Research in Performance, it was yeah. very specifically, and now people call it, in the UK anyway, PAR.
1: Because we all love an acronym. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. And academia,
0: very specifically, so, mm. so, um, being a pract- practitioner scholar kind of makes you slip between the gaps a little bit, which is one of the problems, so quite often if, you know, I, whenever I make work, even if I'm just making artistic work, it's driven by questions, it's driven by things that I want to know, or I want to understand, or that I want to uncover, So. For me, it's impossible to separate the two, but trying to access funding and things like that, you slip between the gaps, because the Arts Council are kind of like, this is research, we're not funding that. The, art, the Research Council is kind of like, this is performance, we're not gonna fund that. So as a practitioner scholar, you kind of slip between this kind of odd space. And in this country, we're very fortunate because I think there is a good relationship, especially in live art and performance art, between the academy, so between scholarship and practitioners. This isn't the case outside of the uk either i think um like if you look at the united states i have very limited knowledge about this so i don't want to talk too much about it because otherwise someone listening might be like what is she talking about but from what i understand is practice and scholarship are very separate and there is a kind of uh, resistance between those two as a practice which is odd because in our discipline the performance performance is central it's everything that we are concerned with that we are uh, interested in understanding or making so I'm surprised it took so long for it to kind of become central to research as a research methodology. So, I work with two different companies and they do two slightly different things, although in reality they are interested in immersion, inclusion, and participation. I work with Keep House Performance, who are a practices research company. So, we are very specifically driven by a set of kind of research questions or research agendas. And we use practice or performance as a way of um, exploring those or trying to find answers to those questions. And I do that with um, a colleague of mine called Dr. Karen Savage, who works at Lincoln University. She did used to work here at Portsmouth with us, and so now it's, it's really challenging to try and work across so, so, such distances, but we're just about holding on to that. <laughs> but we very much are about research and what drives us is the idea of research. Now Vertical Exchange Performance Collective, which obviously you're the co-artistic director of as well, so it feels kind of strange to uh, talk at you about this, but is driven from a slightly different agenda. Of course we have questions that drive us, but they're questions that come from a a performance space rather than from a research space. Although it might produce research outputs, and although it even might be considered as potentially practices research, it's actually driven by uh, a need to explore and understand performance in an as- more an a- more of an aesthetic space than potentially keep house well, yeah
1: I mean I, th- I think one of the big differences between keep house and and vertical exchange would be that i'm not 'm not a theater scholar mm-hmm. so i'm I'm a layman in that respect, and I like to come at things from a narrative perspective whereas you uh, are less inclined to come at things from a narrative perspective so it, it, yeah. it, it does I think create a, diff- a very very different dynamic for, from the two.
0: And the aesthetics of those work are, t- are quite different but again it's really interesting because the things all the themes that we've worked with over the last kind of five six years for both companies have actually been the same it's this idea of wishes wants needs desires all of those things drive both of those works, but the kind of work that those two companies produce are extremely different, Mm. which I think is really interesting. So being a practitioner scholar, I never can separate those things out. I don't see them as separate because It's about what I bring, and of course we make devised work. We don't work, you know, we work with found objects. Yeah, we
1: don't don't make scripts. No,
0: we go into a room with what we've got, and one of the things that we have is us. Mm. So the thing about it is, is when I step into a room like this, like we're in now, this black box studio, as Joe, what I bring to that table is, part of that is being an academic. I can't just leave it at the door. It doesn't work like that. I can't pull off the bit of me that's an academic and leave that outside just to make work uh, with Vertical Exchange. It comes as part of, uh, the resource that I bring to my practice. So I think that the two things enrich each other, I think that the practice enriches um, the research and I think the research enriches the practice and I think, for me, it's impossible to separate those two things out of each other, but I think research doesn't always mean it's not going to be work that's interesting to an audience, but performance doesn't always mean it's not going to be things that have value in research either. Yeah. So it's, it's always this kind of strange, but it is like wearing two hats all the time. And I think you do a really good job with that, because you, especially when we're making work with vertical exchanges, I always have half that academic hat on. So there's always things I want to know, but then it's about thinking about, well, how do we translate that into a way that is accessible?
1: Yeah, accessibility is a big
0: thing. Yeah, because keep house doesn't have to be accessible. We present our work at conferences and within those kind of academic spaces. <coughs> Vertical exchange don't, and I think one of the things that we do well together is to make sure that that work is accessible outside of the academy. Yeah. But that's also one of the big challenges I think we've had, is actually trying to get it Well, we, out. we, we do
1: have a tendency to do slightly odd located work, I suppose, in actual yeah. strange locations. Yeah. Uh, also, again, brings my next question, the background effects, because one of the first things we actually did was a site-specific piece. Uh, as you can now explain, uh, down in Plymouth. Yes,
0: so, gosh, and that was in 2005. That was about 10 years ago, yeah. God, yeah. Um, we got invited to be part of a festival called To Do, um, and we made a piece quite quickly.
1: Very quickly. And it was our
0: first ever piece that we made as Vertical Exchange Performance Collective. And um, we went down to this little, to the Barbican in Plymouth, it was, and... Um, we did a piece in the toilet.
1: We did do a piece in the toilet.
0: <laughs> which is...
1: Uh, toilets that were slightly smaller than we expected yes, as well. Yes, they were. Which, which is also a big problem with site-specific because <laughs> yes. when, when you turn up and the toilet's too small, there's very little you can do about it.
0: It's funny that you bring that up because I never think about that show. We didn't get... This is back before everyone could take pictures on their phones and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so we have smart, no documentation. Smartphones
1: weren't a thing. I can't believe smartphones weren't a thing. Ten years ago. But, yeah, smartphones hadn't really happened, so.
0: No, I and mean, so we have hardly. I mean, I've got a few You've images. Got a few pictures, but that's it. But um, actually they won't open on the computer because they're a format that isn't. They're not JPEGs. Not so, they? No. No, oh, I can sort that. So they won't. They won't open. But um, yes, yeah, so our documentation of that event is is limited. But actually, when I, when you're making me think about it, all the tropes of everything that we've done since are in that show in a way we have we had interactive elements the whole thing was kind of interactive and the whole experience was only activated by the engagement of the audience mm. so it was all task based as well we had you on the floor we had basically multiple narratives but they had to be discovered through someone engaging with we had like a little recorder with a tape player yes
1: yes we had actual <laughs> cassette tapes we had
0: a cassette tape we've still got those somewhere yeah i have still got them
1: but yeah that's that's crazy i'd forgotten about that 2 we've well, got the yeah. little
0: handheld one and the really big chunky like school one
1: did anyone play the tapes though
0: no because this
1: was way before i mean i think before
0: anyone knew what in to fairness, do <laughs> um
1: oh what's that one i didn't see i can go this way. what's that one i didn't see the your, mask of the red death
0: oh yeah yeah
1: this would have been after mask of the red death in London, wasn't it? No, it was
0: before. Was it, it. before? Mask yeah, of it was the before *Mask of the Red Because that's
1: one of the sort of big beginnings of immersion. It's isn't before it? it's anyone so.
0: used the term immersive.
1: Yeah, which isn't trying to show off. I'm just saying, um, and the audience, I don't think knew what to do because no, we wanted them to, do, to play the really tape, confused. but they didn't play the tape, and they didn't really no. understand. Um, yeah, and especially because it was in Plymouth, obviously. So, yeah. which isn't London, which is the the normal place for anything yeah, new course. to come out in theatre. And even
0: though we had signs, didn't we say, Play Me? Play Me.
1: It was treated more like a gallery than a, something yes. you could... People just walked in and it was like f- a, It was like walking through a picture rather than walking through a, a, a space where something could happen and you could affect anything. And it.
0: people were frightened of... They didn't engage directly with any of the performers, which, again, surprised me. I'm pretty sure
1: me. I got kicked in the head, you so, so get someone get engaged with it. me in that way.
0: But they, they kind of... St-
1: Watched. Yeah, it was definitely much of a, a watching kind of piece. Um, it'd be interesting, actually, to, to, redo, to redo that. Because everyone
0: would know what to do now. I
1: completely, I'd completely, actually completely forgotten about that. But that but really yeah.
0: helped us to think about how you extend an invitation, how yes. you open an invitation. So It
1: definitely affected all of your research.
0: Oh, God, yeah. All of the tropes that I've been interested in in terms of my research and our practice were in that show, mm. which is really interesting. And the funny thing about it is, is all of the devices that we use are actually really established live art ones and performance art, you know, live art and performance art has had this interactive, kind of participative quality since the 1960s, um, but not in the theatre in the same way. And I think what was interesting about our work was it was distinctly at that point theatrical, but employing the reframing of the everyday in that kind of live art way. So I think that's why when audiences first came across us in 2005, they just... Literally didn't know what to didn't make of it. Didn't what to it. make yeah. of it or what to do with it, and it was confusing for them. And we've worked a lot, and I think Wishbox is almost the pinnacle of honing that kind of hybrid form that we, that I think makes us distinct in the yeah. work that we do. But I think we've really managed to nail starting to get the right, not the right I don't want to say the right kind of participation, because there's no wrong kind of participation, but making the right invitation.
1: To the audience. We, we've certainly developed the, the invitation to the audience, and I think the industry as a whole has developed uh, mm. an audience which want the invitation, so everything works kind of nicely Exactly, from
0: that, but so. they were so baffled, and, yeah, I've I totally forgotten all about that. And we got a, you got your first ever parking fine, do you remember? I did get
1: my first ever parking fine. Um, yes, I can't remember <laughs> why. But we parked
0: yeah, on in, there was, a big, on there was a big car park, and on I forgot. I was, no, I didn't have enough money, cliff, and I was yeah. going to go back
1: and put some more on, but you didn't. I forgot because we were doing things. Um, but God, we did yeah. all of
0: the tropes of it. We had special effects, because you had your head all like, smashed open. Because my mum's a makeup artist. So yes, she your did, mum
1: did smash did my head all your open. Special and effects.
0: And we had the tape stuff, so we had all these little multi-narratives people could choose from. We had little vignette scenes happening inside the toilets, inside the toilet, in and out yeah. of the toilets. But nobody, there was a step, because we made a step, No, didn't I, we? I don't we know if anyone got on the step, because obviously no. I couldn't see. No, no one no one, got, no one got on the step. No one looked over the cubicles, keep- because you could look over the cubicles, and we, inv- well, we thought we'd put an invitation for them to be able to do that. But again they didn't yeah Does and it again it was durational wasn't it because it went on for an extended
1: I don't know if that was durational I mean my bit was obviously because I, I just had to slowly get off the floor mm. um, in essence in a very very pained way and task it was and all it was task, task driven based. all yeah, the so
0: performers yeah. operated task no characters which is really interesting again all our tropes I didn't completely forgot about that yeah wow
1: there, there's definitely something there <laughs> <laughs> and now um, where should we um because obviously, then you did your big practices research piece for your PhD, which was Siren Song. I did, which went through a, a different seven seven different ways, and <laughs> I don't think it ever quite got Never to where got you wanted right. it to Never, either. Didn't,
0: ever. But the good, th- in some ways, I it's going to be so central to who I am as a practitioner for, forever. I think because it really consolidated my questions.
1: I mean, I, I think. More than anything, from my perspective, it it kind of set the rules Mm because everything's rules and task based that we do. So I I think Siren Song developed the rules Mm -hmm. because obviously that was you. I help out with bits and bobs and point and, and smile. i performed. You performed oh, no. a
0: few times in I various do, situations. I do. I do end
1: up in these things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. that's quite scary. You performed
0: at Camden's People Theatre in the yes, version did there, which was the, the first ever version, which was like the earliest experiment. Which
1: really didn't work. That was a failed experiment. No. But, but
0: that was the thing about Sirens' Songs. So but you've got to was fail. Genuinely, an experiment. You wasn't have.
1: It? You have to fail to to succeed in many Absolutely, respects. Absolutely, that know?
0: was a nightmare, and it, it taught me a lot about audience and assumptions. Yeah. And ways to make invitation. And actually, it's that show which pushed me into reading Victor Turner and pushed Although, me into trying to understand what liminality. I would is. say
1: because we, we didn't want seats in there, or no. you didn't want seats. No, in I there. didn't. We didn't want seats. We you, whichever. Um, and we got seats, but we did get people actually standing up Out, and participating. Yeah. Because I at some point had to make a, a weird sound while wearing a mask. Well, I can't remember why, but. Yeah. You, you, you had me making a weird sound with a, with a mask because you actually, that's kind of the, probably the last thing you actually directed, isn't it? It is the last you thing directed, directed, you yeah. directed us in that.
0: It's when I realised that this work doesn't ever require a director, we need to facilitate So, yeah, that was that show. Yeah. Again, but that it was, was a turning point of that. That was
1: definitely, but, but people, uh, I, I kind of got up on this step. And made a big sound to stop the scene when I mm. thought the scene that was playing out wanted oh, to be stopped. What was the name
0: of the god you were basically? Playing I was one the in a, I was an African god an Af- of some an, kind. An you or a you? I can't remember.
1: No, I can't either. I but can yeah, remember. and then and then if people wanted to, they could um, come up and and right. say something, or they could they could write they, on you. They could ask questions as well, couldn't they? Yeah. They could ask questions, or they could get something to stop. We've
0: got it on video somewhere. We have I got can't it on video. Remember. Gosh, I went through so many. Iterations. Oh, this sounds really bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> previous going I can't remember, I can't remember,
0: remember. We did it. remember I remember we did it at Camden's People Theatre I remember we got really lost really lost
1: yeah I wasn't driving then. then.
0: no you weren't so was um, someone but else yeah. was driving
1: and it, yeah but that show but it did work for people participating because they yes. did participate they did stand on the block they did they put did. themselves up they that did in the one thing shed, so.
0: that actually I thought would never happen they stepped across the traditional line of mm. audience into a theatrical space and that in itself was a huge breakthrough in terms of my yeah, research I mean, su- and practice. It
1: was successful. I mean the show wasn't <coughs> perhaps as successful as it could have been, but from the audience's But terrible. but from the audience's participation <laughs> perspective, yeah, definitely. And that was what, two thousand seven? Two thousand seven, yeah. yeah. So I think I, I think that world. does work, yeah.
0: But I think again it was a seminal show for us because mm-hmm. it was a huge turning point. It was a turning point in me realising that theatre for the kind of work I wanted to make and the kind of work I wanted to achieve wasn't actually, it was a nail in the coffin for me as a theatre maker, in some respects. It kind of made me realise I'm not a theatre maker at all here. I am a live art performance artist. Yes. But then I also have this, and this is the issue, is the work is not quite, it's not theatre. It's not theatre. It has theatrical elements to it but it's also not entirely live art it's kind of a a strange hybrid that sits between the two but it never needed a director and that that taught me that
1: that taught me it, it needs a facilitator and a manager yeah um which is what i shall be doing in wishbox but we'll yeah, come on to wishbox cool. in a yeah, moment yeah. um in fact why not come on to wishbox now yeah. that's that seems like a good time so uh talk a little bit about uh what should we go for <coughs> how you came up with the idea because you came up with Wishbox I I helped you refine it but this is your your sort of baby so
0: again it started with a really simple idea and oddly was directly came out of a show I made with Keep House Mm. and so we um, in the Centre for Performing Arts are attached to a theatre here in Portsmouth called the New Theatre Royal where I'm an associate artist as well but um, they went dark for two years while they were rebuilding and refurbishing the same as while they were building this building here for us attached to the theatre and when they reopened, they did something called Making Your Mark, and they asked Karen and I as Keep House to, they effectively commissioned a small show, um, a one-on-one show, to find ways of performatively documenting the community's experience of the theatre in order to generate heritage and legacy. So what we were asking people in that show, I we not going to too much detail about that show, but um, effectively what we were doing is collecting people's hopes for the future of the theatre before it went dark. Yeah. And that really got me thinking, um, what is the difference, and this is artistically, so that was a research project, and for us we found ways of using performance to document legacy and heritage, which is something I'm really fascinated with anyway, and I still will come back to with Wishbox. So we were collecting people's hopes, and what surprised me while we were doing that is also people's regrets, which we didn't build into the show, the Mm. possibility for, which was an interesting expo, interestingly exposed our assumptions and that got me thinking what's the difference between a hope and a wish? And then I started thinking about wishes and there was this really cool project and I always forget the name of the artist which is shocking but he did something called Post Secrets where he collected people's secrets and I thought wishes in some ways are kind of more whimsical than hopes they are definitely more whimsical than secrets but what would happen if i asked people to give me their wishes and how would i go about asking people to give me their wishes and that was the starting point really is kind of moving from hopes into wishes and kind of going okay there's a whimsicality about a wish in the way that hopes don't have and so literally i collected a load of wishes to start with did it on social media and actually i made a little box and put it in the foyer where all my students hang out Yeah, and collected a load of wishes. And then um, I have a thing with microphones, I always use microphones in my yeah, work, I'm aware of that, it's, yeah. it's just a total a total thing, microphones in my shoes. and um, So I got the wishes and a microphone and that's where Wishbox began. And I didn't know any more than that at the start of just, I knew I wanted people's wishes and I knew I wanted them to give them to me and I knew I wanted to perform them. Um, and from that tiny starting point, grew this huge research project and huge performance project, which Mm. are almost slightly separate. Although they have the same product, they feed into the same thing, Wishbox, the show. Yeah, They've generated two quite different ways in which I approach it and think about it, which actually causes me a lot of issues sometimes as well, which you know about because you sometimes have to untangle them.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that (laughs) feeds back into the whole practitioner scholar (coughs) thing. Sometimes you overthink one part or the other part, and it needs to be need someone to separate it, so I am a separator yeah. which I think sounds a lot more exciting than it is a detangler a detangler yes
0: um, <laughs> you, you perform extradition <laughs> in some ways yes so yes yeah, so, and that's where it began and it's been in development for three years it's yeah been it's, 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 it's been through rehearsals. various
1: forms and been performed in a few places before it's actually in, in its kind of final state as it is now so
0: yeah and um I've learned a lot about it and it's managed to keep kind of the original whimsy that drew me to the idea of Wishes in the first place, but also with the built-in possibility of genuinely allowing the audience to take the show where they want. And the reality is is wish, there is no wish box show unless there is audience engagement. If they don't, and this is the other thing about our work, isn't it? Is, if the audience don't engage and participate, there's no show. It's a huge risk, it's a huge risk. You know, we could stand in that room in our bride and groom outfits, with an usher in our lovely white house. You've
1: given that no context. I know, you know right, her, I know, right? Right, you talk about,
0: <laughs> but that's what I mean. It's the same with, with you in mind. Yeah, You're lying on the floor with blood coming out of your neck and a tape player, there's no show until- That's what that
1: show was called?
0: Yeah, with you in mind.
1: We didn't say that earlier, because I couldn't remember Oh that. yeah, it's yeah, called it's- with you in
0: mind. So our There's first show was no called show. With You In Mind. Siren Song. If those people had not grown out their chairs at Camden's People Theatre and then again at Winchester and then again in all the places that we did it, mm. there'd have been no show. Yeah. And that's the big risk our work takes is if the audience choose not to participate in our work... There's no work. Yeah, I mean, I was was (laughs) going to come on to this question
1: a bit later, but I'll do it now. Because, I mean, when I listened to your interview with uh, Leon Fons Terrible, Mm -hmm. um, because obviously I listened to all of them back because I edited them, but when I listened to them, I thought it was very interesting because they were talking about the way their show is... um, almost like military time so Absolutely, the whole show yeah. will happen and it, it, this happens here this happens here
0: regardless of audience regardless
1: of the audience now obviously the audience participant experiencing it was good I went mean, as well it yeah, was yeah, a really yeah. really good show yeah. but um, with, with, with your with our work that doesn't happen everything can flip <laughs> on its head in two seconds in
0: seconds
1: which is um, both staring and intimidating so why don't you quickly structure out how the show looks now yes. in its final form and this is okay. the final form. And talk about the madness. It, of it
0: is the madness of wish books. So um it started as this little whimsical idea and now it is very fixed. It is an eight hour usually and it's gonna be again in October. What, anywhere between six and anywhere ten really but eight is 10. a good average. It is an eight hour wedding reception. The audience come as guests yeah. Um, they're also invited to dress up if they'd like to too. But there is a bride and groom, a six foot by six foot by seven foot wooden frame of a house that is strung up with strings in the middle of the space. The rest of the space looks like a wedding reception. There's a top table, yeah. there's a table with drinks <coughs> and wedding cake and bouquet and all of that paraphernalia. There is a bridesmaid and a best man and usually a wedding photographer as well and they treat the audience as they arrive, like wedding guests. They are somebody here for the bride and groom, all of that kind of stuff. And then basically, as soon as the show begins, the way it begins is somebody, either the bride or the groom, stay inside the wooden box most of the time, yeah. the wooden house. We have all the wishes from the previous iterations of the show already in the house. If we didn't have those, there'd be nothing, but that's always our starting point, is we pick up a microphone, either the bride or the groom, I'm usually the bride and, it, various people have been the groom and we start to read out the wishes all the wishes are real they are from all the audience who've been before and we collect them on social media as well by asking Yeah, we've got
1: loads of wishes thousands
0: there's thousands of wishes Mm. now and they're all on the floor on these cards and um, the way the show begins is usually I'll pick up the microphone and I just start reading the wishes the entire event is completely ruled by tasks so as a bride and groom we have a set of rules The bridesmaid and best man have a set of rules, and the audience will very quickly pick up, in a way, on the set of rules that govern their participation. So the bride and groom have two sets of rules. So the first rule is you pick up and you read. If you're the one who's not reading, you peg the wishes with these tiny little, tiny little crazy awkward pegs to the strings on the house. So eventually, we've never managed it yet, that's my goal, to fill the whole house up. So we're gonna build, we build a house out of people's wishes which is kind of part of the premise of the show. Yeah. So if you're reading and we never comment on them, we have an ethical responsibility to never pass judgment on those wishes that we're reading. But other than that, you can do what you want. I can shout them, you can whisper them, you can repeat them a hundred times, and you can peg them or not peg them, and it's up to the bride and groom why they do or don't peg a wish. Yeah. If you, you can either peg it so it goes to the house or it goes to the floor again to be re-performed later. If you are the person pegging, you can turn around to the person on the microphone and say, stop. And then you take over and you start reading the wishes. That's basically what the bride and groom do for the entire eight hours, effectively. But then there's this other set of rules that lay over the top of that, which are tasks. And they are in little boxes with the bride and groom's name on. And they are all things that would happen at a wedding reception, so cutting the cake, kissing, holding hands, having a first dance, serenading each other, all of that kind of stuff that would normally happen at a wedding reception. And the the bridesmaid or the best man at any point, at any time, can stop the whole proceedings and give the bride or groom one of the tasks to do. The bride and groom will do the task, whatever it is, kissing, dancing, singing, whatever, and then come back and continue reading the wishes now the best man and the bridesmaid encourage the audience the whole time to give their wishes to hand them directly to the bride and groom they're encouraged to get up and dance when the bride and groom come out of the box to dance they're encouraged basically to participate like wedding guests they're encouraged to document the whole experience on their phones on social media we also have um, all the photo booth stuff that you normally get at weddings now, like the little moustaches and the little yeah, top yeah. hats. Yeah, all, all,
1: all the things you'd expect a fairly fun wedding. Yeah, wedding. it's
0: basically a, a, a Shoreditch.
1: A Shoreditch wedding. It's a Shoreditch it's, wedding. It's, it's a Shoreditch <laughs> wedding. Um,
0: and of course, for me, as an, as an academic, the complexity of all the things that sit under that and the reasonings for why we do all the things that we do are huge, and I don't have the scope to talk about them here. That's why I'm writing a book. That's why I'm writing a book about the whole it. a book, yeah, it's good. Um, although I have published, and this is probably quite shameless, but. I did just publish a journal article in a journal called Performance Research about Wishbox. So that, if you do want to know more about kind of the academic side of things, I'd start to explain some of it there. So if you want to have a look, do. If you find that kind of thing boring and dry, then I don't blame you and don't look. (laughs) Just go to our website and look at all the really cool pictures and stuff. This is why Wishbox is challenging as well, because trying to...
1: It's not the easiest thing to explain. I
0: can't explain. In, a, in, like, a, you know, what everyone wants, everyone wants a bloody soundbite now. Everyone wants a soundbite. And they're like, explain Wishbox in a soundbite. And I'm like, I can't.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it is, it is definitely a struggle. I mean,
0: yeah. And that's partly to do with form. Because with immersive the theatre, I, I could be like, it's this story yeah. that you get let into. If it was live art, I could say, we're challenging this.
1: It sits between the two, which is um, awkward.
0: It's awkward for us as the makers and people who have to mm. market it and publicise it. But it, in some ways, it's kind of its strength for me as a practitioner. I like the fact that we slide between the gaps and the pavement all the time. And I think it's one of the things that kind of makes the work quite accessible Yeah. as well. So trying to explain it though. Well, I mean, it's just taken me probably, what, 10 minutes to explain? Close to. Yeah. Reckon, yeah. And, and that's or the five, basic bare bones of Wishbox. So that's that's the show.
1: <laughs> because you're um, because when we we redesigned it really because I mean you did mm. it for the first two or three times in uh, a plastic bit almost box. sort of more on your own because yeah, I was so I was good, doing other yeah. things and then I sort of come on board and I was uh, not desperate but I wanted to add a bit of narrative to it and a bit mm. of backstory because I think I think the audience would enjoy that and you very resistant to that, which oh, I suppose yeah. is where the, the house really came from. It was all part yeah. of that discussion as well. Because originally you had like a glass box and yeah. your, your bride and groom were trapped in a glass box and it was supposed to fill up with wishes. Yeah, yeah. So rather than that, and and the house I suppose was me adding a little bit of uh, sort of more narrative structure yeah. in a way.
0: But interestingly, and again I don't want to try I'm trying to steer away from going into kind of the analysis of it, but... The house is important because actually now what I think Wishbox does, yes of course it collects wishes, it documents people's wishes which is in itself quite interesting, but the thing that the house does is it challenges a lot of cultural practice that sits around these big aspirational life
1: wishes. Oh it's it's definitely sort of a, a, sh- a shout out to how people would get um, together would get married then they would move in together it's it's yeah. it's quite retrospective from that um viewpoint of how sort of i want to say western society it is i'm not very, sure it's of very yet, western it's, it's about western i'm not rituals. completely sure how eastern society works when they get married and everything so i don't want to say that but yeah Different, it's certainly all over i, think. I know, it varies so much so it's just, it's a massive generalization but it's definitely a look of how sort of it used to be, because obviously people don't, you know, people don't just meet, get married at like no, 20. No, people and do still get married. People do still get married. The
0: white wedding is still a huge... A white
1: wedding is still a thing. Yeah. And we really like that cultural practice.
0: Yeah. So it's really trying to expose the cultural practice, but it's almost like strategic penetration. It's from within it. Yeah. So it does it gently, because some live art is hard. And I, don't get me wrong, I enjoy that a lot. I actually really enjoy hard live art, live art that's hard to live through. Yeah. I enjoy. And I think the difference with Wishbox is it does all the same things that those things do. It challenges those things, but it does it gently. And it does it with a wink and with a taking of your hand. And I think that, that's one of its strengths, is, is its whimsical, gentle yeah, playfulness.
1: Yeah. I mean obviously the, the a lot of the live art sort of, what you would call it, closer to immersive practice in the, <coughs> the 60s were very, very mm-hmm. angry. Very you could angry, have found yeah. yourself strapped to a tree naked all of a sudden because Absolutely. that's that's the kind of reaction to the time whereas now I think you want to encourage people to participate because that's the good thing about Wishbox, you can, yeah. you can go in and you can view it like a piece of theatre if you want to. Yeah. You can grab a seat in the corner, you can grab a drink and, and you can move, sit yeah. and you can not move and you can watch people dance around, you can watch yeah. some speeches. You can watch the wishes, or you can pour your heart out. Yeah, you have, we have the option. Uh, I think, would you call that agency? Yeah, You yeah, have definitely. the agency. You too. have the
0: choice of whether to take up your agency or mm. not in that. And um, again, one of the things I love about it is, one minute everyone is laughing at the rude or really funny wishes that people put, and then the next moment I'll have to read something that breaks my heart, and that. I love about it too. When I pick those cards up, I have no idea what is written on them at all and what I'm going to be reading.
1: I mean the good thing from um, a perspective of of, of people coming to see it as well is that you actually have the option and and often need the option because this has been done with students as well as, as part of the test thing so some of the wishes are quite well disgusting explicit yeah disgusting I think is better yeah, than explicit yeah. but if there are you know young members of the audience in, if you know if, if someone's yeah. brought their kids as has happened as well yeah. you can look at the wish and you can go oh, I'm not reading that and I you can it throw it away down, so that's anything fair that's fair. too explicit can be instantly yeah. um, vetoed by the performers so yeah because we're
0: the arbiters of it and we do exactly. that exactly
1: um, and, th- and it's that freedom which is both interesting and terrifying mm-hmm. uh, I think
0: And uh, yeah like, and that, that's it, that's what makes it dangerous but it's dangerous in a, in a gent- gentle way
1: <laughs> because, I mean, when we've run the show before, we've had no controlling uh, person in essence, really. I, th- I think it's been very much a, a collective, and I'm going to try and do the controlling element. Well, there's been the trouble is, show, is that because so.
0: it's so task based and there's so many different rules that you have to kind of follow, but they drive the show. Without those, the show doesn't drive. And um, the problem that we've had is that, of course, over an extended time, for the first hour, uh, The bridesmaid or the maiden of honour tends to get ever excited and you do loads of tasks. But then as it goes into five hours, they they forget. And I think discipline has been something... It's been fine because we've been doing it in a laboratory setting. But now, one of the things I think that will strengthen the show and that will really drive it and make it as exciting as it can be is that discipline. And it's been lacking that. And because I have to do everything it's difficult because I'm trying to perform I'm trying to make sure it gets documented I'm also trying to make sure that people are sticking to the kind of the rules to drive the dramaturgy of the show and I just can't do all of that so that's why you're gonna really step in before the show in October Mm. and make sure that that kind of adherence and discipline to those rules because those rules are the only thing that makes the show happen so the rules entirely drive the show and I think in some of the iterations but again you know, they've just been workshop versions so it's fine have been a bit lax but I think the most important thing for the this kind of big up and coming show we've got is keeping those rules tight and tight taut. For that level
1: of time, yeah.
0: And I think the tautness of that will give the show the energy that it needs in order to be dangerous in the way that it needs to be dangerous for the performers. Because dangerous. This is the other thing. Some work is only dangerous for the audience. This is dangerous for the performers and yeah, the audience. But I don't
1: I don't think the energy levels need to stay. I like the the fact that the energy levels drop as the time goes on. No, I no, I agree. But I think well.
0: there's a tension that the rules hold that to. So, you know, if the... I mean, I'm, I'm mean. So if I was the bridesmaid, if I saw the bride getting tired, I'd keep making her sing or I'd keep making her dance because it would expose the weakness of her human condition. Mm. And so that, that's what's been lacking. So I don't necessarily mean this constant energy. I mean, attention okay. of being able to recognise and expose the duration, because the duration is important with this, because as it goes on, it allows it to really shift and change as it moves. So maybe that's just, I, I, maybe I have a cruel streak, because I used to be a director, I don't know. Well, you clearly do, but yeah. um, <laughs> I, don't
1: know. I, I can say that.
0: But as I, I feel I would, as an audience, Find that interesting and exciting to see the kind of the frailty of the performer flagging in that way. One
1: of, one of the big difficulties I've always uh, seen with this show, and certainly moving it forward and, and going because people, obviously people have talked about touring it because it, it, you know when people have seen it, it's it been very successful.
0: Yeah, people love it when they but see it. But
1: it's durational, which I think, yeah. and I've said this to you many times, I, I think know. is a nightmare. I
0: know. Um,
1: I, I understand the form and it's great, but I think to to yeah. take this around and to tour it to places asking a venue if you can have the the, the space all day for 10 hours uh, yeah <laughs> and i think it's not just the venue i think most people and the general public and they're just not aware of this kind of work and that that is, again it's a sweeping generalization i could be wrong yeah. but i think it it's difficult. a hard sell
0: and the size of the house as well cuz it it's not it's not the
1: easiest show to move it's not
0: no. compact it's not compactable so it's I difficult could to probably move.
1: make a, a compactable version, but it would need to be a redesign on the house, yeah. And the problem is, is I'm
0: in love with the house. The house is so clean and beautiful and perfect, and a collapsible one just wouldn't have the same feel. But I, I get attached to props, so maybe that's just me. But no, you're right, it's been a challenge, because obviously we've been trying to get it... The first two years was really about developing it, and was making sure we got it to a point where we wanted it to be. And it, it's been there for almost a year, and we've really struggled to find ways of getting it out to the public and that's not going to go away. So the reality is, is it is going on, is going out to the general public and we'll see how that goes but it is a duration that's caused those issues with trying to get it on at festivals, it's a duration that's had us trouble trying to get it into a touring venue as well because people just can't give up that level of time and the costs of taking something for that long and moving the house and all of that, so it has been a huge challenge, but the problem is, is, and I know where you're coming from with duration, but as a scholar, duration is something that fascinates me and its impact on an extended situation like that that has participation. And as a practitioner, there's something really that becomes ugh, imbued with a kind of melancholy that I think is really beautiful mm. in duration. So. That's why I'm I'm so hung up on it.
1: <laughs> Logistically, it's a nightmare. But I yeah, I, I I know what you mean. It's great when it's there, but it's it's getting it there. That's yep. the, the issue. Um, the other thing I wanted to have a, a, a well, other thing I wanted to have a quick chat about the whole actors or performers thing because mm-hmm. obviously that's important for you. Obviously, you're an educator as well. Yeah. But um, actors in these shows get a little. Scared, scared because they have to be too um, yeah. up front. I think, and then uh, what's? How do you view the difference between the two? Yeah. And what's what's the ideal for you? I suppose would be the. Well, for me, student.
0: the reality is is that you need. I respect actors, and I've worked with actors a lot. I train actors mm. to go out into the profession as part of my day job. Um, but for work like this often actor training is prohibitive because the reality is, is there are rules and you just have to be yourself responding to those rules within that particular situation in that moment and a lot of people argue a script does exactly the same thing but it is very different you build a kind of consistency this you have to have and it's something all performance artists have is this kind of innate sort of charisma which comes from a courage to give yourself to the audience. Mm. But not even to give yourself to the audience, it's to give yourself to the task. To be an absolute slave to the task so you become a vessel or a cipher in that way. And that's how, when I'm performing in that way, that's how I feel. I'm like, okay, so I'm here and I am me. I'm not pretending to be anyone other than me. Yes, I'm wearing a wedding dress and I'm in this strange situation, but I'm still me. And I'm not pretending otherwise. And I'm here. With a responsibility towards these things that people are giving to me. And that means I'm a vessel, which means I need to be true and have a, a kind of a responsibility to the tasks that drive my presence in the space. And I find that traditional actors really struggle to give up, to give in to that kind of approach. So, I mean, ideally, working with other live artists is great because we're. It's it's a kind of fundamental aspect of working in live art and performance art because it's about the reframing of the everyday rather than pretense. Mm. But the reality is, is anyone could do it because it's about responding to a task. So if you can follow an instruction, you can potentially perform in the show because it's performing, not acting. You're not pretending anything. You're not you're not engaging in mimesis. You are being yourself, responding to some rules. If you've ever played musical chairs, or musical statues, or any party game, you can perform in a show like this. That's how I see it anyway. Oh yeah, I, I,
1: I don't do parties, so uh, that's that not terrifying. <laughs>
0: if that terrifies you, don't do it, because yeah. that's exactly what this is like. It's giving in to a rule, and, and allowing a rule to marshal you.
1: Okay, so the last thing I wanted to ask you about Wishbox, and I've never asked you this before, is Is there anything that you wish the audience would do that they haven't?
0: Oh, uh, yes, actually there is. Uh, The one thing that has never happened, which has confused me as to why, and I I think I know potentially why, no one's ever, ever, ever come in the house, picked up the microphone, or touched the wishes.
1: Okay. So obviously the house has a door.
0: The house has a door and is, is open. It has windows it, and a door. If
1: you have listened to this, it really is worth at least having a couple of look, look quick look on the internet at the picture of the house because it's awesome. But yeah, the house <laughs> has a door. So, and no one's ever come in?
0: Ever. Huh? And of course we leave it. We leave it to kiss. We leave it to, uh, to dance. We leave it to sing. And um, you know, at any point disco songs, like traditional, not traditional, but classic wedding reception songs come on, which again, people can request on social media before and during the show. So we leave the house quite a lot and no one has ever come in the house. Come in the house. Okay. Now I would say this is because the house creates uh, in a way a kind of mini performance space within the performance space um, that has the traditional boundaries that an end on theatre would generate potentially. I would say that but when you made me think about Camden's People Theatre and the show we did there and we did get people crossed that traditional boundary line which I thought wasn't possible because it's a frightening thing to do so people did it then but no one's done it and I'm I'm surprised I mean we actually don't even have a contingency for if someone does which I do need to think about obviously we're about to go into another section of R&D before the show is on in October so that was actually it's interesting you asked me that because that was one thing I was going to address in that R&D is what do we do if
1: if someone comes in the house,
0: yeah, which is odd because the audience that we've had today has mostly been academics and obviously drama students because we've been developing it in rehearsal spaces. And of all the people that would,
1: you would expect them to push them. the
0: boundaries. Yeah. I would have expected them, and they never have. And I, as an academic, that intrigues me.
1: Do you not think it's perhaps a respect thing? Yes, because they they uh, people are just automatically respecting that that is a small bubble they're not allowed.
0: Yeah, but we've never said that and we're Rope's never like explicit in the about
1: that. A little red rope <clears> will keep <throat> everybody out.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's always awkward for me and I have to be... This is why it's good to collaborate and to work with other people because I am the person, as you know... Yes. ...that will reach across the red and touch. Um, because that's me. I'm the one who wanted to play with four cents. you know, that's me. Um, and maybe I'm unusual in that respect, but I thought by now there'd have been one of the me's who would have felt the need to, to cross the line. The yeah. So no one's ever done that. And so I'm really pleased you asked about that because I've been thinking about it in the last few weeks before we go into the R&D of we must have a contingency rule for if someone chooses to come in. And also I was thinking, do we generate or build a possibility in of someone being able to do that? You know, Why is it just the bride and groom who re- read the wishes? Surely other people could deliver the wishes too. No. <clears throat> no, and, uh, no, but we need a contingency plan in case someone comes in while we're dancing whatever, and picks up the mic and starts to read the wishes. It could happen, because we don't explicitly ever say you're not allowed in our house, ever. No. So I'm surprised no one's transgressed that... Because spe- the, the rule for that is spatial, isn't it? It's the spatiality of the house which creates a barrier and a respectful line. You know, you would never... During Macbeth, get out you see and climb up on the stage, and I think the house creates a stage, a stage effectively. So for me, in some respects, that, that is in itself problematic academically. And thinking about this whole idea of liminality and agency and all of those things, but I am surprised no one's transgressed it because the whole point of these things is they're set up to encourage transgression. The show encourages transgression, and no one has ever made that transgression.
1: Be interesting to see if anyone does.
0: Yes, so I must have a contingency for if. If they do. I mean, my heart tells me let them. If they come in, give them a mic, give them a stack of cards, and step out. Yeah, and right let right, them right. take over. But I don't know yet. <laughs> Obviously, this is this is the only for me. It's the last question. Question that we need to work out in our R and D in October mm-hmm. before
1: it goes yeah, out. Most, yeah, mostly it's just refining. <clears throat> we have
0: that's things, our so. last question really. The last question is what do we do if the house is transgressed by a am doing rabbit fingers. It, audience I
1: hate the word. You can't do rabbit now. fingers with one finger, it's two fingers. <laughs> I what did what Oh, that's rabbit because that looks well, like a rabbit. Well, that's speech marks.
0: <laughs> I'm always telling my students off using speech marks when it's a quotation so uh, single fingers. <laughs> <laughs> No. Academic rabbit
1: ears. <laughs> Not a thing. Okay. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, so, this is probably going to be it for a while for Wishbox. We're going to have the, the show in October. <clears throat> yes. Uh, which is the 21st.
0: So, it? yes, it's going to be Friday, the 21st of October, in the Mingella space, which is the creative lab at the New Theatre Royal in Portsmouth and it's gonna be on from 12 noon um, pretty much till 10 o'clock at night because we've got two four-hour sessions um, with a little break in the middle uh, and then an after show discussion. And um, for me, showing the work and it being finished, I mean, work's never finished because obviously this show has actually spurred the whole point of the next show. But for me, that's kind of,
1: worked out. The show isn't finished in a way, but it is finished in another way. It's, yeah. it's going to be the last time we do it for a while, I think.
0: Yeah, giving it to an audience and giving it to a I re- say, <laughs> sorry students, I'm not saying a are not real audience, but you're a very different and knowing audience. So this will be the first time, probably audience. the last time for a while, it's going to go out to a general audience. Because for me, that means a lot of things will have been resolved that I started the process for in the first place now I have a few new things I'd like to find out about. So yeah, 21st of October, which is a Friday at the new Theatre Royal from about 12 noon. And um, I think tickets are going to be very reasonable as well. And um, I'm hoping actually by the time this goes live, which will be quite soon, that the ticket sales will be up and ready. So if you do want to come, please do. Um, obviously, if you don't, if people don't come, there won't be a show. So like we were talking about earlier it's entirely reliant on participation and people coming and populating it and if people don't come and populate it there there won't be a show and i really want to find out about my transgression my last little question so please come
1: (laughs) yeah you can just just come sit in the house for a minute and go (laughs) away
0: yeah come and transgress come and push our buttons because that's what we like
1: (laughs) oh you've made me lose track of my question that's what i like i'm sorry Yeah, so that's there and obviously this process has been a a long one, I mean in fact the last two shows have been really long in the sort of R&D phase and we've really been refining it but I think we've got somewhere with that because the next show we're talking about doing, so what we've literally started work, I mean you've started thinking about it a while I started it
0: last summer.
1: Well you started thinking about it last summer, we've actually started putting things on paper in the last few months. Yeah so the next one will be called
0: our needful, things. our needful things which yes if there are any Stephen King fans out there is a nod to Stephen King um if any of you have ever read his short stories, there's a little shop called Needful Things where people go to get what they want, but you'll never quite get what you bargain for.
1: Isn't that just a rip-off of the old curiosity shop?
0: Yeah, it was part of that whole thing. Should but I th- be
1: saying on a podcast that Stephen King's ripping off people?
0: <laughs> no, probably not. Sorry, Stephen King. But actually, I was a huge fan when I was a, a young person, and this has massively influenced kind of ideas that underpin the show. But so, it, in a way, it has a little nod the old curiosity shop and to ideas of needful things, but the next show is going to be called Our Needful Things. For now, <laughs> no, I, th- I think we're going to keep it. This, I yeah, like that I like title. that title.
1: Um, well, we don't want to say too much about that, but certainly yeah. we want the R and D process and the process of doing it to be much shorter because we do. We're aiming for Brighton next year, aren't we? So we are we aiming for Brighton festival.
0: Well, Wishbox has been long because we had a long list of questions to work out. This time. Um, we're, so we've done. I've done hopes. We've done wishes, and the next thing we're moving to because the one thing wish box made me think about was well, well, wishes are kind of whimsical in this this sort of way, but also, what then is the difference between a wish and a need? Mm. And then it got me thinking about needs and the difference between a hope, a wish, and a need. So our needful things is going to be much more focused because we already know loads because we've learnt loads about hopes and we've learnt loads about wishes so moving into the idea of needs is going to be quicker because we've done a lot of the legwork
1: Yeah, we've done a lot of groundwork already with the
0: other two shows so I suspect this one we can pull together probably within a month of R&Ding it Mm,
1: Which is good because that's what we're going to be doing um, just (laughs) after this show As soon as Wishbox is done
0: Uh, What are you doing over Christmas? Working on our show It will be before that actually in
1: order yeah, we'll be, be the, the run-up. So. Um, we'll be looking for people's needs as well then.
0: It's moving out of the slightly, because obviously uh, You Hope, Her and Me and Wishbox um, and w- With You in Mind and Siren Song had this kind of... Uh,
1: that being our previous work.
0: All of our previous work <laughs> had kind of a, a whimsy about it and this is actually starting to address something which is much more fundamental fundamental and serious and actually resonant with the way things are at the moment. And the idea of trying to fulfil a basic human need is what the next show is going to be about. And it's going to be much less grand. Everything else we've done to this point has been epic in some respects because of the scale of yeah. what we've done. This is going to be one-on-one. It's going to be a one-on-one experience um with three simultaneous one-on-one experiences happening at the same time i can't say too much more because we haven't talked about that much yet
1: but no, we, we, we've, we've planned it out but you just don't want to say too much more mm. because this one's got a, a very distinct reveal element to it yes. this one's got a uh, definitely something that you'll find out during the
0: it's show. playful of course it's playful everything we do has this kind of playfulness to it yeah. but it's playful in a more dangerous way than any of our shows have been before and there's a lot more risk involved for the audience as well as for the performers with this but it will be one-on-one which means it'll be more intimate and more intense than any of our work has been to this point so i'm really excited about moving into our needful things and exploring how we might go about fulfilling a basic need and we've had to actually do a lot of research outside of the process itself for this which we don't Mm. normally do we normally gather found material and spend a lot of time gathering um, other people's material this time we're actually having to do some research and we've been looking at um, issues that surround kind of the refugee crisis we've been looking at um, documents produced by the world food corporation and the World Health Organisation and it's, it's really going to start to feed into some of those really pressing
1: actual needs,
0: actual needs and concerns at the moment and it's going to be very much focused about um, the consumption of things but I don't want to say any more than that really
1: Even that's a bit much, I might cut that
0: out No, don't cut it out <laughs> No, don't, um, so I, I think it's still vague
1: enough. So that's the, the small scale project and then yeah. the, the bigger project we're looking at is the the other one, isn't it? The the one that's actually going to be very complicated. Yeah. You're looking at me blankly like you've no, forgotten.
0: Uh, no, I haven't <laughs> forgotten. Um, well, we haven't even got a working title for this show yet because it's going to require.
1: It's going to require a lot of work, but it allows me to quickly talk about one other thing because mm. I've been saying to you for many years that I think gaming and, and theatre should come closer together, Absolutely. and that's basically what happened in immersive theatre. In my opinion. Well, people like Glass as a, as a gamer, It's definitely definitely A kind of twin. the way forward and especially with the, the VR technology and the uh, rise and hatred of Pokemon Go depending <laughs> on how you feel um I like Pokemon Go I have some Pokemon I'm gonna lie and yeah. uh, you have the one I want which is annoying but I
0: only have one I have one have Pokemon one, have
1: Squirtle which is clearly the best Pokemon <laughs> I better stop geeking out about Pokemon but um yeah the, the next show we're gonna have is gonna be after that, the big show is going to have actual sort of a, a narrative basis to it, yes. which is going to be strange. It'll be very it's, odd been for a me. it's been a long time since we've done that. narrative, um, and it's going to involve different forms of multimedia as well. So yes. similar technology to Pokemon Go.
0: Yeah, it's going to be. Um, we're hoping and and it, again, but it will
1: be immersive. It will be, it's immersive. Going to be immersive in a very different way,
0: and it will require the reason um, it's sort of in
1: our. Very early development stage. Very
0: early. is because it's going to need some significant funding, which means we're going to be um, scratching around to either get arts council funding or a big research kind of grant to do this kind of work because it's going to require bringing together people from different disciplines as well. So we're going to have to work with coders and gamers and people who design that kind of platform and people who work in VR. So it's going to be a huge collaborative project. Of course, it's going to have all the things that make vex, vex at the heart of it, It's be still going to
1: have the tasks, it's still going to have... Yeah, it's uh, going to be tasks. It's probably going to have some red shoes somewhere.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: then no doubt will also be a microphone.
0: More than likely.
1: But I'm not going to say anything more about that. This, no. this is the ultimate teaser. It, it doesn't
0: even have a title yet.
1: It doesn't have a title or a narrative or a massive plan. But, but it has it, a... It definitely has a thing.
0: What it does have is... And this is again unusual for our show because we normally start with questions and then work through them. This
1: show, we have started with
0: what we know we want the experience to be.
1: So we start with how we want the audience to receive the work rather than, than the work the work itself. Which, which, is, is, which is a really weird starting point.
0: For us it is and I, I'm, I'm excited, but um, it will be hugely new
1: territory for us mm. and
0: really ambitious. It is going to be a hugely ambitious project. so do keep your eye on that because yeah, so, we are so going to keep pushing. Just,
1: Follow us on Twitter, and you'll see bits of information come out slowly. But the, the, I mean, because I wanted to structure this because, as good as Wishbox is, Mm. um, the problem is you can't take it to many places easily. The idea of this big show, and it will be a big show, is that you can take it anywhere. It's transferable, and you will not need to have uh, a set kind of space. It will be very easy to take literally anywhere in the world. No, I don't just mean this country. I mean literally. It should be globally. It will be accessible
0: accessible because it will be...
1: That's a big statement.
0: I know, it'll be in the ether. It will be similar in vain, if anyone knows their work, to rider spoke, that kind of
1: sort of... If you don't know that work, don't feel bad. I've got no idea what it is. It's fine.
0: It's um, where what they use, very basic versions of it, so Wi-Fi hotspots where you can access and download and also contribute to bodies of stuff, but that's the sort of lines our next show will be going down, but more with with the newer technologies and ways of into it will be augmented reality.
1: Augmented reality. That's, AR. Yeah.
0: It will be an AR show. So we've got Wishbox in October yeah. um, at the New Theatre Royal. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Providing we get the R and D space, there'll be Our Needful Things on in Brighton, and at least probably somewhere else along the south coast. And then probably thinking on a grander scale, sort of 20, end of 2017, 2018, we'll be probably looking at this new AR um, project.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, that's the future for vertical Collection Range Performance Collective. And the interesting thing about us, which I should probably mention, is the two, it's only really made up of two permanent people, which is me and Nigel. Well, three, really. And and Kirsty, who
1: does all of our who does all of our
0: visual media. So there is the three of us who are kind of the core members of Vertical Exchange Performance Company, uh, Vertical Exchange Performance Collective. And then we work with whoever we need to to make a project come about. Which Mm -hmm. is why we're called a performance collective because we collaborate with various people along the way. And Wishbox has been through so many iterations over the last three years. We've collaborated with loads of different people. And I can't see that changing. It works for us. We're kind of, we make the core and the ethos of the company. And then we work with whoever we need to, to get things off the ground and to make things come into reality, basically. It's extreme. It is. It's a lot of work.
1: It is a lot of work. On top of our day
0: jobs. (laughs) Yes.
1: As if that wasn't enough, having a full-time job and doing this on the side. But I'm an academic. Yes. You're
0: studying and have a full-time job. Yes. And Kirsty also, has. you know, has a job too, yeah. so
1: Everybody has our and <clears> yeah.
0: So they're the fu- that's that's the future. So if you want to come see our work we're on at the new theatre Royal in October. Um, hopefully we'll be on at Brighton as well uh, in the new year and then beyond that.
1: And we have a crowdfunder going for Wishbox, don't forget.
0: Yes, we do. Um I'm rubbish at my self-marketing, <laughs> which is really bad. But yeah, um Although the show is well-developed, there because of the way it works, is things get consumed every time we do it because people drink all the stuff and eat all the food. And they,
1: they do have a habit of eating <laughs> the food.
0: <coughs> and use the cards, of course, because that's what the show's about. So we do have quite a lot of production costs, but more than anything, um, I am really keen to open up my process for local artists for a development opportunity so they can come and see what it is that we do, because there's not a lot of opportunities to do that kind of thing down here in Portsmouth, which is a shame. And I would really like to be able to offer um, workshops to kind of young people in the area, because again, there's not a lot of access to this kind of work. Mm. There's access to other kinds of performance, but there is no access really to this kind of work here. So we have a crowd funder. Um, I'll put all the details up so you can click onto that and click through it. We're trying to raise about 3,000 pounds to enable the show to go ahead, Um, But also, more than that, to enable us to do a showing of the show that will be free for schools and colleges, so that they can access this kind of work here without having to pay, which would be amazing, and to do a whole load of workshops for them as well Mm -hmm. for free. (coughs) If we can raise the funds, I mean, the show's going on, and the show's going on, whether it ends up costing us or we can actually afford to pay our performance and stuff would be amazing. Um, And you could genuinely help with that or the least you could do to help is come and buy a ticket and watch because those funds will contribute towards the show too. So Crowdfunder, um, you can find it actually if you go on Crowdfunders website um and look for Wishbox it, it comes straight out. Oh, tweeted
1: out by- all of our things. I've
0: tweeted it out, um, I've put it on Facebook and I've also, I will upload the video, the Crowdfunder video onto our YouTube, Tate's YouTube channel, so you can go and watch it. There's like a little five minute video of me talking all about the project in more detail and what exactly the money will pay for, for the project, so. um, If you can't give us funds, that is absolutely cool too, just give us a share sharing helps just as much as giving us cash does so please do spread the word for us that would be awesome okay yeah
1: i mean with regards to the <coughs> workshop as well because i know you've got some international people that are listening which obviously aren't going to be able to come to the show but we could always no, do some um filming and i could i could do the, some filming of your workshops to make something a bit more permanent well, we'd if like... interesting in interest in that kind of
0: thing. Yeah, well, moving forward, we'd like <coughs> to start live streaming some of the things that we do, which we can do via YouTube and we can do it via by, by Twitch and things like that. So I'm currently looking into the possibility, because if, if it is a possibility, we might be able to live stream a little bit of the show mm. in October, but again, I'm working on being able to afford to do that. And if we can, then I will try, because I think we've got a lot of international listeners and it would be great for them to have access. To a little bit of the work at least i think would be quite exciting yeah
1: that's definitely the future and i love these um, 360 cameras but we're, we're a few years off being able to afford one of those so. we have one gopro we have we have one <laughs> gopro I, th- I think i need about six though <laughs> yeah so we do that's kind of pricey <laughs> and and the rig and the editing.
0: Yeah. so if you want to know more go on crowdfunders website and you can find us under wishbox or you can click through directly through to it from Tate's website or from Vertical Exchange Performance Collective's website too so loads and loads of different uh, ways ways that you can access it and if if you can't remember any of them drop me an email or message me or tweet me tweet Facebook I'll let you know (laughs) I'm easily findable on the internet now and accessible so just get in touch with me and
1: yeah. Okay, that's all good then. I think yeah. uh, we're all done in our interview. We are. So.
0: Well, I'd like to say a massive thank you to Nigel for being a guest interviewer, for interviewing me. It's been very strange being the other way around. I'm not used to it. I'm used to being the interviewer, not the interviewee. I, just,
1: I, I edit it, so it's strange that I have to talk. <laughs> Normally I just do this in silence. So,
0: so um, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the little shakeup in format. If you did, please do share with any other folks who have an interest in immersive theater. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or on my website, which is joannabucknell.co.uk. Some of you have been leaving me comments and questions. Thank you so much for those. I'm gonna be keeping them and collating them so that I can do a future Minnesota. Uh, if you do want to know more about Wishbox, again, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook or through my website along with all the information about the crowdfunder and the tickets are going to be available through the New Theatre Royal. Again there'll be links to all of that on my uh, website, Facebook and Twitter as well. So next month for episode six I'm actually going to be chatting to Brighton-based practitioner Seth Creeble so I'm really really looking forward to that and I hope that lots of you will join me again next month. Take care, bye.